Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, this is Power Card, aka Project Pat, and you're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, the best Ravens podcast on the planet. That's pretty incredible. In fact, it's La Marvelous. Thank you guys. All right, welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. It is Tuesday, April 21st, currently being recorded on Monday, April 20th. What does that mean? It is 420, absolutely. We have a very special guest on, my good buddy Evan Manukis of Fair Shake Football. You can find his Fair Shake Football handle. He's big on Instagram and Twitter as well. Just straight up how it sounds, Fair Shake Football. How you doing today, Evan? Doing good, man. How you guys doing? You know, we're doing, we are Go ahead. doing quite well. Both of us are doing quite well. Um, chilling, getting ready for the draft. Obviously, it's a very exciting week, and this is the grown man's kind of Christmas Eve of the football fan. So we're <laughs> pumped over here. All the little r- rumors start swirling. We just got some about the 49ers trying to dump some players potentially uh, that might not make sense and things like that. But we just wanted to get you in. You're a guy who actually gave me access to a lot of the tape that I have, um, which I do appreciate so much, and wanted to get your opinion on things. You do have some very strong opinions. Um, first off, I just wanted to ask you, you know, general players kind of at the top of the draft in the first round that maybe you think other guys are higher on that media guys might be higher on, whereas you might be a little lower on, uh, in that department. Yeah, that would be, um, Caleb on chase on would be one of them just because his talent is obvious or his athleticism, I should say is, is obvious, but, um, just his inconsistency is worrisome. And I also, I think like if he was, if he was drafted by a team like the Ravens, you know, with a creative defensive coordinator and they would let him do loops and stunts and stuff like that, and maybe even cover a good amount of the time, at least early on, I think he'd be effective. Um, But if if a team that just wants him to put his hand in the ground and beat an offensive tackle, I think that, I think that's just asking a little too much of him, at least early on. So he could be one of those guys that, that uh, has a slow start to his career, kind of a disappointing start, and then blossom somewhere else. You know what I mean? Whereas, right, um, he's just not really a pro-ready type of guy, in my opinion. So yeah, uh, absolutely. He sort of reminds me of Brian Burns last year in in uh, 
different style player, but um, just sort of that undersized ed- edge rusher that that uh, you're going to have to worry a little bit about when when big offensive linemen get their hands on him, especially in the run game. It does feel right, like so more of a rotational player yeah, at first. Like, yeah, right. It feels like a yeah, lot of people. Definitely. It feels like a lot of people like project him as like that hand in the dirt kind of get after the quarterback type of guy. And it felt like for me there were a lot of moments where his athleticism maybe even got the better of him and he would just kind of blow by tackles and kind of not really have a plan for how to get to the quarterback. It kind of sounds like you project him more (laughs) as just a guy who's going to be doing not only that, but also dropping back into coverage, more of a traditional coverage outside linebacker type deal, at least at first. Is that what I'm hearing here? At least at first. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, I think he has the movement skills and the athleticism to do that at least, you know? So, um, and I mean, I've just seen him get knocked backwards too many times. Like when, when, when uh, offensive tackles touch him and he's moving backwards, you know, it's not just like he's not going anywhere, but he's actually backpedaling, you know? Right. For me, it feels like his game needs to slow down a little bit at times because he launches Mm -hmm. off the ball so fast and has no idea of, Hey, I need to make sure my chest, my chest doesn't get touched because he's so light. Right. And we'll just give him. And you're right. Every now and then, every now and then with how athletic and explosive he is, it just looks like so dominant. You know, you'll see an occasional rep of like, whoa, <laughs> you know. It sounds where, to me uh, like you guys but, aren't great football guys because you don't like see ball, get ball players. Right. Exactly. <laughs> How do you see that? Uh, I'm yeah, big but... on instincts, you know, just <laughs> like just the instincts and play strength because I just think play strength is, a, is an attribute that doesn't get really talked about enough when we're, or doesn't get necessarily factored in enough, you know, especially just um, with media guys and their evaluations, it's it's something that I've had to kind of like bring myself back in on, you know, like is this guy strong in college or is he or is he strong, you know, in the National Football League? It's a different animal, you know what I mean? Right. Who are guys you think that fit that bill? The football strong, and maybe while we're on the defensive side, but maybe whoever, if you're thinking offensive lineman, whatever. Who do you think has some football strength that's going to translate through? early on in the NFL? Are there guys that come to mind? Yeah, so I've been doing a lot more of re-watching guys this year and uh, just to go back and kind of make sure I don't miss on things on certain players. And Marlon Davidson is, uh, me and you talked about him uh, a week or two ago. He's one that it's just, the more I watch him and the more I see the the get-off and explosion at close to 300 pounds. I mean, people thought he was playing around 280 pounds as a stand-up, edge rusher for um auburn but the more i i, I look at he weighed in i think at 305 at the combine <clears throat> and the more i the more i look at him uh, back at his tape i i think he was close to three i don't think he put on a ton of weight just because he just looked he didn't look very much smaller than Derek brown you know out, right. out there on tape and um he's a guy that i saw him beat offensive tackles around their outside shoulder at the college level as an edge rusher, which I just believe is not his position. You know, I don't think he's a, I think he's most definitely a hand in the dirt guy, like, you know, three technique ideally, and maybe even some one tech. I mean, he's, he's just a strong um, athletic guy with explosion that I think translates very well to the pro game. And I, and I really think that the NFL is going to see it that way too. Like, I think he's going to go higher than, than the consensus kind of is on him right now. Where do you right, he had a really high uh, star value coming out, too, of high school. How do you, like, rank all your D-line? Oh, did he? 
Yeah, I think Marlon Marlon was Marlon was a four star, I believe, like a high four star. And then Jake had a question for you. How are you like ranking the D linemen okay. this year? Like one through five. Um, I'm still in the process of that. I, I was actually working on that yesterday and today. I it's like it seems like every position this year is like really close. You know, where I might just have to do it in tiers because I just feel guilty leaving certain guys out of the top five or even. Uh, top 10 at some in some spots so um but I'll tell you this much I I'm so high on Marlon Davidson it, it would not surprise me if he's the best interior defensive lineman when we look back in about three four years he just it's just something different about him a guy that's that's a 300 pounder I believe naturally a 300 pounder um, and he's beaten offensive tackles on their outside shoulder and he's also when when he did line up the three technique he's dominating dudes you know, he's just, he was too quick, too powerful. I think when he gets to the league and, and he gets actually put into that, to what he does best permanently. The um, trenches a little bit more. Gonna be, yeah, definitely. It does feel yeah, like he's got some great so I'm still. Like, it does feel like there's uh, yeah, some does, tweeners does, in that has, sense, too. Like, it feels like there's some yeah, tweeners man. with, like, you mentioned, like, going from, like, one tech to three, and then it feels like there are guys like Blacklock at TCU moves around a lot, so maybe it's kind of hard to come up with rankings in that sense. Yep. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess for when I do rank them, I'm just going to I'm just gonna do interior defensive linemen, you know, and then edge rushers. So I will have Marlon most likely third after um, probably – I'm, I'm a big Kinlaw guy, and he might be number one for me right now. So it's going to be probably Kinlaw, Brown, and then Marlin is what I'm pretty sure of. So um, I'm not sure about four and five yet, though. Cool. Yeah, they've got like Matabuke. There's that whole mix of Jordan Elliott and Blacklock, and those yeah. guys those get kind of cloudy. I'm not a big Blacklock guy, but I really like Matabuke and um, uh, Javon Elliott. I like him a lot. He's powerful, but he also can get up the field, and I think he'll offer some pass rush as well. Nobody's really talking about that guy either. It's kind of strange. Yeah, I know PFF is really high on Elliott. Um, how are you seeing this linebacker class as of now? Because I feel like this class early on was like, oh, you know, there's Murray, Queen comes on the scene, and then it was thought of as this really shallow position in this year's draft. And for me, at least, it feels like there's a lot more depth in the middle rounds than yeah. were kind of expected early on. Yeah, you, you know what? You just reminded me of, of one of my quote-unquote guys. Um, Davion Taylor, I really like that. The dude, he is fast. I don't know what he ran at the combine, but I w- if he did, it was run, like a four, it was, four, it was four, probably seven. really fast. Yeah, okay, that makes perfect sense to me because he looked four four seven on tape when I watched him. I was like, because I hadn't heard anything about him, and I just saw his his name on the combine guys. So I watched him, and I was like, oh my god, like it, this guy is he's seriously fast, and he's not tiny either and he i think if i remember correctly he barely played any football um almost throughout high school like he couldn't play his mother his mother is a has a very uh strict religious schedule and on friday and saturday kids were not allowed to be out past dark so he would practice all week and then would never play in games and he played in two games in his high school football career uh on varsity and ended up went to juco then uh, kind of was like unbelievable at Juco ends up going to Colorado. So he's very, 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 very raw um, at the same time. But mm-hmm. yeah, he has that run and chase ability. Who else do you like in this linebacker class? 
I really like Zach Bond too. Um, <clears throat> Cause I think Zach Bond is a guy that can, he, he didn't do it a ton uh, at Wisconsin, but I think he can do, I think he can really cover. I think he has the, the movement skills, the agility to cover, to, uh, to move laterally. And I think um, as a pass rusher, I really like him. He's a little undersized as a pass rusher, but he is strong, man. And he's, He's just a high motor guy. He can get up the field. I, I, I like Zach Bond a lot. He's actually one of my guys, I would say. For sure. And then talking DBs, I feel like you're kind of a DB specialist almost. Um, I think you spend a lot of time on corners, on boundary corners and slot corners specifically. So what are you seeing? I know you're really big on uh, Reggie Robinson and a couple other other kind of smaller name guys, smaller school guys. Yeah, when I was at the Senior Bowl um, – Everybody was – I heard most people talking about how bad the corners were. But there were three guys there that I liked. Reggie Robinson was definitely one of them. And then, and then Reggie Robinson went and crushed the combine. He ran like 4-4. His agility drills were good. His, um, I mean, his explosive drills were good. He, he really showed up at the combine. But on tape, he was great, too. He made a lot of plays in the ball. Um, but I also liked uh, – I didn't know who this guy was when I got to Mobile when I was watching – the uh, the practice reps, especially the third day, and the Georgia Southern cornerback Kendall Vildor, he he reminds me of DeAndre Baker. He's like five ten or five eleven, hundred and ninety five pounds, something like that. But he has thirty two and a half inch arms. So I hear people want to want to kind of pigeonhole him to the slot just because of the the five ten height or whatever. But with thirty two and a half inch arms, I mean that literally is DeAndre Baker, I believe. I, I think they're almost identical in size. And um, they're physical, feisty. Uh, he's a feisty dude, and he makes a ton of plays on the ball. I think I was just looking at his stat line a minute ago. It was like um, I think he has nine interceptions in the last three years, and then another another like twenty six plays on the ball. So he's just been active, and it's been happening for you know multiple years now. Um, and I watched the LSU game with him just because that with with small school guys like that, you want to see what they look like, especially against LSU, you know, it's Jefferson and uh, Chase. <clears throat> and a lot of people will, will argue that he gave up three touchdowns in that game, but he didn't, um, or, you know, or at least it was like zone principles and he, he wasn't totally on the hook. He didn't get beat, you know what I mean? And, and outside of those, like potentially, you know, he was in on those touchdown catches. It was a really good showing from him, you know, like just his instincts, his, um, his anticipation and, and, uh, you can just tell he's a leader too. So, um, I like Kendall Vildor. I think he'll be a starter at the next level. And I, and I don't think he's a guy that you're going to have to take early. I think third round, something like that at the earliest probably. Um, and then the, the kid from Pitt, uh, Dane Jackson, he's a, I think his name is Dane Jackson. He's six foot plus 200 pounder, um, and he's just a physical, similar to Reggie Robinson, just a physical long corner with um, decent – his speed might be his only issue, but I think in the right system you can kind of protect him a little bit, and I think he has starter potential as well. And, and he's probably a guy you can get day three. Right, and uh, yeah, he's a little bit more thin and has some fluid like movement. He didn't run terribly fast, but had really good explosive numbers and some good stuff like that. Who are some of the guys that you're a little bit lower on than the consensus you would say? Um, so yes, Chason is one. 
just because I, I'm I'm not necessarily a you know first round guy on him, and I really like Jerry Judy, so I don't want this to be confused. But people are arguing with me a lot, and they're telling me you know that he is like Odell Beckham or something like just a, a true number one receiver at the next level, mm-hmm. and I don't see that. I think he's more more in the Calvin Ridley mold. You know, I think they're I think he's better than Calvin Ridley, but I think that's kind of who it is, you know, um, after it's also, I don't think they're like, if you have him on your team, as opposed to Calvin Ridley, I, I don't think he's a huge upgrade. Um, but that being said, Calvin Ridley has been a good player, you know, very good player. Just might, not, maybe, level, but, might not dominate those top level cornerbacks in the NFL. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't see that guy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I like rugs. I like, I mean, Judy's still going to be my, my third receiver. Um, but, uh, and then who else? What was the question? Who am I lower on? Yeah. Just guys you could see um, getting taken a little bit high that you might not agree with. Or when you look at a, you know, different pundits draft that you feel are a little, uh, right. little, you're, you're a little unsure of. Yeah. I, I definitely wouldn't draft Makai Becton in the first round. Mm. <laughs> like I, he, he could totally prove me wrong. And that's just like, I have this theory. I don't know if other people say it the same way or not, but basically there's just some guys that you would have to be kind of just willing to be wrong on willing to miss on, you know, cause does Makai Becton have upside? Yeah, definitely. He has a high ceiling for sure. Because if he, if he can become a consistent, good pass protector, well, you know, lights out. Like he's going to be an elite, most likely an elite offensive tackle at the next level, an elite left tackle. But I'm just, I he has some reps where it's just like, what was that? You know, um, is it mainly pass, pass protection? And then, yeah, it's mainly pass protection. But I've also seen he has trouble sustaining blocks in the run game. I don't like when he throws guys around. Yeah, that's that's awesome. You know, and it's fun to watch. But I see him also at times where what happens when he doesn't throw the guy to, you know, when, when he doesn't just throw the guy around? Like what? Ha- Cause I don't think that will translate in, in its exact form. I don't think he's, he's throwing NFL defensive ends around like that. You know, I think he'll, he'll be able to out muscle some of them for sure, but I don't think we're going to see the same type of just dominance as a run blocker. And when I, when he had to sustain his blocks, I didn't see consistency in that regard. How does a GM sell him to an owner if he picks him then? Like, what, what's sort of the, uh, the strength that you could, you know, speak to? It's just going to be that, that cliche, like, there's not guys this big that can move like that. And you know what I mean? You're right. going to sell them on the traits. Uh, but I've also heard Paul Alexander, former offensive line coach, because a lot of people are always oh, 370 pounds, you know, that's, but all offensive line coaches are not going to love that. And all GMs are not going to love that. They're going to be a little bit worried about that. Cause Paul Alexander was kind of like, yeah, but I'm not sure if that's a good thing. Totally. You know, he, he said something along those lines when I, I heard him being interviewed one time. And if he can move like, like he showed, he could at the combine on the football field at that weight. That's great. But like typically when guys are, young like this and they're going into the league they're going to get bigger you know so if he gets any bigger i I don't see how he can move like like a nfl left tackle you know sure but i think they would use traits and just upside as the selling point and i think it's a fair argument it's just that 
like in this great draft, I'm not going to take him in, in the top 32 picks. I just won't do it because there's just, I just like, I like a lot of guys, you know what I mean? I like, I like a lot of, especially at the tackle position. I mean, you know, even when you get, even if you had to wait and get one in round two and you got Prince Tega, um, Lucas Nang, those guys are good players. I'm a little worried on Ezra Cleveland. If you take him, in, that's another guy. If you take him in the first round, uh, I mean, it could work out for you, but I, I just, I don't see much knee bend. I think he's kind of reliant on his his agility, and sometimes that will work. But uh, I'm just a little worried about him. I think he'll be okay in a, in a year or two, but he's another one that I'm a little bit iffy on. For sure, I'm definitely high on uh, Prince Tegawanogo. I think he's gotten a little little hidden in this class, and I agree that Ezra Cleveland's gotten a lot of hype as a first round player. I don't quite see. It. I think he, like you said, he's a little bit too much of a waste bender for me. Um, then you know, mm-hmm. obviously, it's a Ravens podcast. So, who do you think, or what? First off, what strategy do you think the Ravens uh, need to have in this draft? They've basically spent a lot of money on defense. Uh, kind of ignored the offense at Yonda on the way out and things like that. So what is your strategy as far as trying to better this team? They brought in Clayus Campbell. They brought in Derek Wolf, uh, and then they didn't really do anything. They lost Hayden Hurst, lost James Hurst, lost Marshall Yonda. So where are you trying to attack if you're the Ravens? What do you think makes them a better team? Yeah, so I definitely think Cesar Ruiz would be just a plug-and-play. He I, He's someone I love. I just, he just doesn't. I don't know if I've ever seen him really get beat. You know what I mean? Like actually lose lose a rep badly. Um, so he could step in, and I think he could play guard and just he could replace Yonda. He's not going to replace him to the level, you know, to that same caliber. But for a rookie, as a you know, we'll take him at pick twenty eight and plug him in. That's that's solid, you know. So that that's an option. But what one thing I've been thinking of lately, and this is going to be a big jump, especially because the Ravens are a win now team. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeremy Chin, I really like Jeremy Chin, and and I think that not only could I think he can play safety. He's he's actually a little bit of a better athlete than Isaiah Simmons. Um, people are not going to like that I said that because you know whatever. But uh, well, <laughs> if you look at the jump, I mean, if you look at the jumps, if you just look at their combine jumps, Chin out Chin outdid him. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I even heard some buzz about him playing a little bit of cornerback at the Senior Bowl. I don't think that would be realistic necessarily in the NFL, but just like the, I, even if people are talking about that for a dude that's like six three two thirty ish, I mean that's that's pretty outrageous. Uh, especially they're talking about it at the next at the NFL level. You know what I mean? So, um, but I think for the Ravens, if if you could, it might take him a little time. You might have to introduce a little bit at a time to him. But if you guys let him play a little bit of linebacker, oh my God, if that works. I just think that his ceiling is so high. And and if it's not something that, that your coaching staff felt great about early on, then just throw him back at safety and let him, you know, play some big nickel situations and, and things like that. Because when I look at your roster, there's not, there aren't a bunch of weaknesses, you know? So it's not like you're not going to, I don't think you guys should be upset if you draft a guy even in the first round and he doesn't play a lot. You know what I mean? Because, you have a good team. So, and, and you could go receiver in round one, but with the depth of this class, it just really depends on how the receivers come off the board before your first round pick. In terms you know, of like if, if, if you've got only three guys gone at that point, I, I think I'd wait. 
you know? In terms of that like win now mindset, what do you think would be the best pick for them there of all the guys you've listed? Probably Cesar Ruiz. Cesar Ruiz. If you were a team that's like a little, you know, at least a year or two away, then I think uh, drafting Jeremy Chin and, and, you know, allowing him to develop as that linebacker that maybe plays sparingly at first, I think that would make sense. But, um, but just for a guy that you can just plug in right away, uh, Cesar Ruiz would be, I mean, that, that's a very cheap relative to what Marciano was probably making. Very cheap replacement and a guy that you know you're going to get value from because he's going to be on the field every, every offensive snap. You know what I mean? And he's going to play at a pretty high level. I don't, I don't see him, I don't see him getting, having a whole lot of learning curves. I don't think he'll be a pro bowler in year one, but I think he'll be a good starter right away. So that's, that's value at pick 28. I think you guys are at. Awesome. What do you think uh, strategy? Who are some later round guys you think would be scheme fits for the Ravens? We've mentioned their versatile defense. Um, what do you think they might need to add on offense? Maybe playmaker wise. Is there anyone that comes to mind that you think that dude would come in and make an impact for the Ravens over his first couple years? I, I really think Van Jefferson is getting totally disrespected in this class. I, I just, That's and I think boy. he's the guy you might be able to grab him. Yeah. Oh, you like him? Yeah, I'm a big Van Jefferson guy. Unbelievable route runner, understands okay. leverage, understands throwing windows, so I'm on board with that already. We've been, so yeah, smart. We've, we've been talking he, about him on this the past couple be, episodes, big time. Yeah, and he, he, he'd be a guy that's perfect for your situation because he's ready to go now. You know, I know he has a little injury he's got to get over, but I think by the time season starts, he'll be fine. And uh, he, he kind of reminds me of Stefan Diggs a little bit, just in his He's just such a good route runner, and and usually guys that are that good of a route runner are like smaller guys, you know. And he's not. He's like I think he's like six one, isn't he? Six two. Yeah, he's yeah he's like six two, a little over two hundred pounds, and he has really long arms. Okay. He has like thirty two and a half inch arms, something like that. I I think that um, when I finalize my wide receiver rankings, I think he's going to be higher than he will be on most boards because. I just don't see what the, like, what can't he do? You know, I, I don't, I don't really look I, I look at him and I'm like, he's a guy that I, like, again, I had to kind of re rewatch because I watched him a little bit before the senior bowl. So I, I watched all the receivers and some corners before, before the senior bowl. Cause I wanted to just focus in on the one-on-ones there. And, um, that's why I'm, I'm early on Reggie Robinson and Kendall Vildor and stuff like that. Because, I was, that's who I was watching before, before I went to Mobile. But, um, he, I, I liked, I was like, yeah, he's okay before the senior bowl. Then he went to Mobile and he, he really showed out. He played well. And, um, and then I went back and watched him again maybe a month ago. And I was like, man, what was I like? I don't know how I, I wasn't very high on him. You know what I mean? Like, I, I liked him, but I didn't love him. But now I'm just, when I watch him play, I'm like, man, this guy is going to be able to get open, like consistently. He's gonna, he may never be a hundred catch guy or whatever, but you're gonna get him in the third round. You know what I mean? And and he's, I think that, I really think his floor is a 50, 60 catch guy. I really do. And I think his ceiling is something, something close to Stefan Diggs is. <laughs> so, right. Something fun from the mean, Senior Bowl that I saw was so he hit twenty. The Senior Bowl had, uh, can't remember the name of it. I think. Jano chips in all the players' shoulder pads. Apparently, Van Jefferson hit about a little over 21 miles per hour while he was doing drills. Devin Duvernay didn't hit 21. Mims didn't hit 21. Um, wow. 
yeah, so Van Jefferson, he was doing that with that Jones fracture in his foot already because they didn't find that until the combine. <laughs> he also, um, so like, he's I, also, he, we were I, talking about this on the show, I think, recently. Like, he's just a guy who, and I love this when guys, like, ball out and make really clutch plays in big games with shitty quarterbacks. And he did that over and over again. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, he, like, he wouldn't get deflated he, from it. Right. Right. And, and I think his dad's a wide receiver coach, too. So it's just like, you know, he's been the Jets. Yep. So it, it makes sense that he's a that he's a good um, route runner. I mean, a great route. He might even be a better route runner than Judy. You know, like he's really he and he's stronger than Judy. Um, I don't know, man. I think when we look back in three or four years, we're, we're going to be asking ourselves, how did he last until the third round or in in such a good class? He might be available in the fourth round. I I if if I'm drafting, I'm taking him, and I'm I I wouldn't hesitate to take him in the second round. To be honest with you, mid to late second, it's a good, it's a really really good draft class overall. So that's high praise in my mind. But um, because when you actually stack these guys and you try to like, you know, come up with a top fifty or whatever, it's 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 hard. You're gonna leave really good players off that list. Right. And, um, Ben Jefferson is is a guy that I think I'm still low on, even though I'm. I'm trying to hype him up. I think I'm still low on him. <laughs> so yeah, we, the only uh, negatives like against him, him are his age and his injury right now. And it's not a, I mean, it's not a significant injury. I believe he did have a significant injury at some point at old, when he was at Ole Miss a few years ago. Um, but I'm definitely there. He also okay. is a very, he's like, he's like a pure wide receiver. Whereas you've got the, you know, kind of the gadgety guys like the KJ Hamlers, the LaVisca Chenaults, um, that are getting these, all these manufactured right. touches in college. And that's not the way that Van Jefferson played at Florida. That's not the way he was used. And that's not what his skill set is. Um, he, he gets open. He's a professional. He's a professional wide receiver. Like he's like, you're right. He, he's not a, you don't have to scheme him touches. You know what I mean? Just tell him, go, go line up out wide and, and run whatever route we tell you and he'll win. You know, um, you asked me earlier, about guys that I'm not as high on as the consensus, and you just mentioned sure. Lavisca Chenault, so I, it, he, he's one of them. I, I like him a lot, but I, I just, I'll pose this question to you. A lot of people make the comparison of Cordero Patterson to him, and it makes a lot of sense, not just because they have dreads, but because it does make sense when you think about the role they would, you know, they would play and kind of where they're at or whatever. I think he, he's. I, I'm not going to say he's going to be only Cordero Patterson, but let's say he's a little bit better and more of a, a more of a wide receiver. Where do you, where do you draft that? Where do you justify saying, okay, in five years when you look back, you know, yeah, we should have taken a little bit better version of Cordero Patterson in the what second round. I don't know. Plus with the injury, plus with the medical, you know what I mean? I, I, I know that Jake is, uh, Jake is pretty concerned about his medicals. Yeah, I mean, that's really the only problem yeah. with me. I do like him as a prospect, and you mentioned a little bit better than Patterson. I think, yeah, he'd be a decent bit better than him, and I think the answer to that question is probably late second, early third, but it's weird because NFL teams and like front office guys love Cordero Patterson. I don't know if you guys have noticed that, but like he's always, yes. as a Ravens fan, they, they had like mentioned him in press conferences, and you have the Patriots trading for him, and then he's just going all over the league. It's like, damn, like teams just don't want to give up on this guy and his, his athleticism. So <laughs> it's just maybe one of those things where he can gonna, do a lot for you. Right, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, like playing running back, playing special teams, doing all this stuff for you. So I think ideally he nets out as something like that. And like, to me, I like him a lot as a player. I'd say ideally no injury history, late first, early second. <laughs> 
Um, also maybe a little bit more of just pure receiving talent, but I don't know. That's just the ideal scenario. But for me, yeah, it's, uh, it's tough with that injury history. I'm just a little spooked by that, especially after as a Ravens fan watching Brashad Perryman with some of his concerns come in and just really never getting off the ground. So. Right. And that's, that's a real possibility with him. You know, um, I, I don't, I I'm rooting for him. I don't want to see any of these kids fail, but I, I just, that is a realistic concern. You know, he, right. he, um, he has, he's had injury concerns and, um, he was also, I'm not sure what his injury was this last time, but he was supposed to, everybody was like, Oh, he's about to go to the combine and run like a, you know, four, three, four, four. And I think he ran like four five, five or something like that. Didn't he? It was a four, five, nine. And I don't see him sometimes when he catches, you know, gets his little, uh, spot route that he gets and he opens up in the open field. Like he has a little bit more long speed, but you don't see him as a route runner win in the first you know in that rolling 20 area that that 10 yard to 30 yard area on a go he won a lot of contested catches on those nine routes downfield but i never really saw him just separate vertically as a route runner Mm -hmm. and i do think you know the cordell patterson thing's easy and of course like you said the dreads probably make it a little bit more you know subconscious thing but just (laughs) it's just that usage where he's a gadget player he gets put at running back he gets put at wildcat quarterback and i mean cordell patterson in college had like 25 carries averaged 12 yards a carry had like 300 yards rushing on 25 carries or something and you see all that kind of stuff but there's just not enough reps of me saying okay wow this guy can really you know abuse a db and get open um, and some of that might be because of the Colorado's limited offense. They only had him run four routes. And sometimes guys, you know, you don't know they're a good route runner because they just didn't get that opportunity. But that also makes it a projection to me uh, of, of saying, can this guy get routed up? And that's why I would have loved to see him be able to go to a senior bowl. That's why it's kind of frustrating that juniors don't get a showcase like that, because where would Denzel mm-hmm. Mims be right now if he didn't go show himself as a route runner at the senior bowl? He'd be getting maybe made- day three. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He, he might even fall to day three. And, um, yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. And I think it, it's, here's what hurts Chanel in my mind too. Everything you just mentioned. And then, and then we can't forget about, even though I don't think this, this receiving class has a, um, Julio Jones or some guy like that you would take in the top five. I think it's a historically great receiving class as far as the depth is concerned, because I have a first round grade on Brandon. Ayuk. he's like 20, player 22 for me or something like that on my board and so if you look uh, it's like the worst time for a wide receiver to be a guy with medical concerns and a guy with like you know just a little he's he's raw i just you know what right. i mean like it's it's in it's another class you could easily be of the one of the first two yeah. or three off the board. like kevin white's class absolutely yeah absolutely yeah he's he's easily picked 20 you know what i mean but in this class, it's like, why would I do that when I can get – I like – even if there was no medical concern with uh, Chenault, I'm taking Ayuk. I just – I like I, – I think Ayuk reminds me a lot of DJ Moore, um, Debo Samuel. D- DJ Moore was my comparison for uh, Debo Samuel last year. And I think Ayuk is just very similar. He's strong. He's so strong. And I just heard um, yesterday or the day before that he was, I think, recruited by – every other school to play cornerback and he wanted to play receiver. Mm-hmm. So, right. So I that definitely, he, where, do you, where do you think a good situation for Ayuk is? What do you think a good passing offense is for him? A good offensive coordinator. If you could pick, you know, one, two, three situations for him to get drafted into, where, where do you think he goes and uh, is maximized? 
You know, I, I think he would be a fine fit with the Ravens. I'm not sure if you guys would agree with that or not, but like you got Hollywood on one side and then you can, and uh, Boykin can play the outside. So Hollywood's your speed guy. And then I think I, you can kind of just do whatever you need him to. I think he can, I could see him taking some end arounds and some, you know what I mean? Cause he's just, when you, when you put the ball in his hands, he can, he can, uh, he makes guys miss, he makes things happen. But I've also, I'm about to actually post a video of, him running really good routes. I'm not, uh, I'm gonna post it on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, he's really nice. He actually the top runs. Break. He is man, and and he just he has the agility. He ran four or five flat at the combine, and I was pretty surprised. Uh, Same, but it, I'm not worried. I think uh, number one, the forty yard dash. I'm not like super concerned about your forty, uh, anyways. But I just I just saw it enough, you know, it's with him to know that like he has that speed. He has he, he has, never lost. A he's a four four. No, never. And and he's strong. Like what I really, what I really enjoy about when I watched DJ Moore and Debo Samuel play, and why I think you remember Debo was my Debo was my wide receiver one last year. I just love their. I love the play strength. You know, when they get the ball, they they are like a running back. You know, it's, that's what everybody says, but it's the truth. Like when they when you put the ball in their hands, they're not going to go down like a receiver would. You know, they're going to they're going to get, they're gonna get extra yards. I kind of like the idea of mm-hmm. him staying in Arizona and going to play with Kingsbury because, you know, doing that five wide shit that they do, he's not going to be seeing a ton of press man a lot. You got to think. Right. And he, yes, they could get really creative with him. Yep, exactly. I, That's a good call. I was impressed with Kingsbury. Um, some of the some of the screen plays they call. I, I thought he was pretty creative in what he did. You know, that was a little hard on him. And that's what, that's, <laughs> you that's how you spread water. Screens. Yep. He had a lot of yeah, manufacturing on the hands quick. this past year. Mm-hmm. And then, so that way, he's. I like to say it like this: like for him, if you can think about creative ways to put the ball in his hands early, similar to how Debo Samuel was used last year, um, you can let him make plays while he develops as a wide receiver. You know what I, I mean? I think because that's I do think that generally NFL teams have started to do more in the recent years right. because there were so many first round misses and high high picks where they're like, all right, this receiver needs to come in from his rookie year and be able to get separation, do these things. But if you start getting them touches, it lets them get a little bit of a feel for the game, for the speed, the physicality. I definitely think that's a great idea. The guys who returned in college yeah. were also comfortable with the ball in their hands coming into the league, which teams really like. That's a good point. Yeah. And I think that that's actually, you know, it's a, that's a part of the game, like to get the rookie some confidence, you know, let him, let him have that feeling, good feeling when he's leaving his first, second, third, eighth game, you know what I mean? And, and, uh, and then we just, I think it was Pete Carroll that somebody was saying Pete Carroll when when he because uh, he's notorious for kind of playing his his young guys early, but I think what he does is he puts like twenty percent of the of the playbook on them or twenty percent of their responsibilities on them, right? And then he ups that by twenty percent every week. So it's like, yeah, he's playing a lot of snaps, but he's not going to be asked to do everything right away. You know, he it's just it's a slow progression. But then by week twelve, week ten, you know, he's basically a pro you know what i mean because of all those extra reps he's, he's been receiving in game so it kind of prevents guys um, from getting in the doghouse as a result of not being yeah. up to speed on the full playbook because far too often we we see teams draft guys on day one or day two and they're just they're not playing you know what i mean like you, you don't you don't want to do that obviously you don't want you don't want to draft guys early and then not be able to play them so I want a starter. If I'm drafting someone in round one, I want someone who can fight for starter snaps early. Yes. 
Yes. You know, and that you want to create competition all over the place. So if a guy is just not ready and then not only is he not ready to do what you, what you want the regular starter to do, but if you're not only that, but you're not even going to like figure out ways to use what you've got, you know? And, and I think now, especially in today's game, we, we've got to use, we see all the really good coaches are using the guys for what they can do. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I even their strengths writing instead of, yeah. so much. Yeah. I almost don't write down weaknesses on my, when I'm writing guys up, I just right. write down what they can do. You know what I mean? And, and obviously I'll, I'm aware of what they might not be able to do, but um, I just think that it's important to, to keep that kind of optimistic, like, okay, this guy can do this, this and that, you know? Right. That's something the Ravens have done really well. Jake and I always say, you know, you don't want to try to fit the square peg in the round hole, play to his strengths, right. play to your strengths instead of the weaknesses. But before we get you out of here, Evan, um, give us, you know, obviously you're very big into Justin Herbert. So I want to ask you about Herbert, what you see in him and you know, what, what you think, uh, his best situation is, and then just give us some bold predictions for the draft. So give us the rundown on Justin Herbert and why you're kind of so big on Justin Herbert and what you think separates him in this class. Yeah, I just, I just think like somewhere along the, along the way here in the last few years, we've, we have begun to, because we found, it's like we found out that arm strength isn't the end all be all that we have kind of like come to be like arm strength doesn't matter, you know, and that's not fair because when you have an arm like Justin Herbert does, <clears throat> you can put it in between guys and you, and you can get it. You can make, he can make throws that Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa, Tagovailoa just can't make, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not necessarily where he fits best. It's, it's where, um, what you want to do with him, you know, like I think that he needs to be in an offense that lets him push the ball down the field and, and a coat with a coach that encourages him like, Hey, throw a couple picks. I don't care. You know, like let's, let's get you loose and get you rolling because um, that Oregon offense for him was just not what, it, what his screen uh, city was. And yeah, it was a bunch of screens and stuff. And like, he's not a guy that's limited in any way as a pastor. Like he's like Josh Allen, except for accurate you know, more accurate. I, I was high on Josh Allen coming out too. And I still am. But I said, when Josh I was going to say, if you're, if you're high on Herbert, you have to be high on Allen. Cause there's a lot of similarities. Yeah. <laughs> but I, but I also said that Allen needed two years to be like who I think he can be. So we'll see this year. And I'm, and I'm encouraged by what I, what I've already seen from Allen. I think he's ahead of schedule, but with Herbert, I just think he's ready day one. I mean, he went down to people don't talk about this, especially, uh, draft guys like on Twitter and, and social media and stuff. They like he went to Mobile and he won MVP of the practice week and then he won MVP of the game. And what was different about that scenario as opposed to what he was doing at Oregon? It was pro style concepts. You know what I mean? Like he he was. He, you could already see what's what's going. If there was one play, it's going to sound ridiculous because nobody. It seems like nobody likes Herbert. But if there was like one player. I could bet on that's not going to be a bust. That that will be a first round pick. It's Herbert. I love it. He's not going to bust. Yeah, he's just Justin not going to bust. Hell yeah, not, not going to bust. I promise you that will not be the death of me. <laughs> he won't, man. Uh, like he just his arm strength is there, his accuracy is there, his leadership. Even though it's not like he's not as cool as as Joe Burrow, <laughs> you know, and he's not as, right. Maybe he's not as fucking smart, right? Right. He's not that guy. You know, he really isn't. And I talked to a guy, uh, one of my, my friends that follows me on Instagram, 
he went to Oregon, he was kind of giving me a little bit, he, he met him a few times and was kind of like giving me a little bit of the inside scoop on his personality and stuff. And what he described to me, I didn't come away like worried. I came away more thinking, okay, so he's more of an Eli Manning, Joe Flacco type of leader. You know what I mean? He's not, he's not a, um, uh, like I think Cam Newton's a phenomenal leader, but he's not that kind of leader. You know, he's just more of like, Hey, like, I'll just do it the right way. And you know what I mean? Hopefully you guys will too. <laughs> like, you know, just lead by example, kind of not, not with his words. Yes, definitely his actions. And uh, Jim Nagy, executive director of the senior bowl, he posted a, um, a video at the, at the end of the game, senior bowl game. And it was like the players from the opposing team were all coming up to Herbert and like high fiving them. And there was real camaraderie there. And, and that's very interesting to me. Um, because how, if he's just like this guy that nobody likes, then why are these dudes on the opposing team talking to him and, and fluffing it up with him? You know, like, I think it was respect because they're, they're playing against him and they're like, damn, this dude, like if you play, if we played a pickup game in, in a park, right. And it's just like a little seven on seven, you know, and, and you had Joe Burrow on one team and Justin Herbert on the other team. I promise you, we'd all be thinking, Whoa, who is that dude about Justin Herbert? It's, so are, like, let's see Tua. Um, I have my own opinion on Tua that I'm gonna get into later after we're done interviewing you. But so let's say, you know, Burrow's obviously probably gonna go to the Bengals. We're not exactly sure. It looks like maybe Chargers, maybe Dolphins for one of the two, but looking back five years from now, where do you think these quarterbacks, you know, the people love to do the redraft and things like that? You think that Herbert is gonna end up being, you know, the number one guy? And then how would you rate the other two? What do you think is gonna pan out over the next five years? Well, I still currently I still have Burrow as my, my quarterback one, and that's that's how I'll that's pretty much finalized. He is my, my quarterback one, but it's really close. It's so hard for me to, um, to put, I want to put Herbert as, as QB one, but I can't because Joe Burrow threw 60 touchdowns. I mean, it's like what he did was so amazing. And some of the throws he made were so unbelievably accurate. Um, but I really believe if you put Burrow, I mean, if you put Herbert in that, in that team, on that exact team, in that exact situation, I don't think there's a big drop off, and I think that Herbert's game does translate better. But um, I, can't, you know, Burrow is QB one for me. Herbert is clearly QB two. Not that he's not that I don't like Tua, but it's Herbert for is that is that two for me, and then Tua at three. But I, it's not super close between Tua and Herbert for me. Got like, it. I love Tua's. Uh, explosiveness into his drops. I love his accuracy on the short and intermediate. Um, his deep accuracy is a little worrisome to me. And I just, what would Tua look like in that Oregon offense this year? It's a good question. You no, know, I don't think he throws thirty-five touchdowns. I, I don't think. I don't think so. I really right. don't. Um, you don't have those playmakers that are going to take it eighty yards like Rugs and Judy, and you know. And then I asked uh, Javaris Davis, cornerback from Auburn who the toughest receiver was to cover from Alabama. And he told me it was either Waddle or Judy. And I believe he used, he said Waddle first. And like Waddle's a guy, I know he's not declaring this year, but he's a guy that if you ask almost anyone, they would say he's their fourth best receiver. Right. You know? Um, so just think, you know, that's how good they were. 
And then if you ask that same question, kind of like who is who is the hardest to cover between Alabama's receivers and Oregon's receivers, it's going to be one, two, three, four, bam. Oh. <laughs> right, yeah. And I even like one of uh, Oregon's receivers, but I just don't think they they their offense just was so bad, man. Like, it, and if I'm defending Oregon, I'm just going to take away the big. Uh, I think his name is Johnson. I'm just going to like take that guy away and let you throw little screens that. Um, aren't going to hurt me, you know, aren't going to kill me. So, right. I don't know. I've, I've seen Herbert make enough throws down the field into tight windows, and I've seen him make throws where he's just under pressure and he just, like, the ball pops off of his hand, man. And, like, he doesn't have to get a bunch behind it either. Um, so, I just, and I think he's smart. I think he's a, I think he is a leader because I'm gathering that from, obviously, I, I haven't interviewed him or anything, but what I, what I gather when the opposing team, um, at the senior bowl is like all several players coming up to you and like, they want to, you know, there, you can tell there was real respect be- between them and Herbert. And I just, from what, and from what I see about how literally zero people from Oregon's uh, football team have said anything negative about Herbert. I just, I'm, I'm right. inclined to believe that he's a good so, leader. He you know, was, he was very, he was very much projected to declare last season. Where do you rank him amongst Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, and Dwayne Haskins right now? Right now, meaning so after, so I, like knowing I what we what know, those guys did as rookies. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, I would take this is not going to be a popular opinion but i would take him over kyler man and mm. haskins i'd have him as i'd have him as qb1 out of that class boom love it justin herbert man yeah, i would um all right so before you get out of here evan give us you know give us a bold prediction or, or just what you think is going to happen <clears throat> thursday night what do you think uh might might shock people a little bit or anything like that or just what do you think is going to happen how do you feel this first round is going to go and that can be, you know, with the online mock, the online draft format, or uh, you know, kind of one position going high, or anything of the sort. How do you think Thursday plays out? I think C.J. Henderson goes top twelve at the latest, but I think top ten for sure. I mean, top twelve for sure. Top top ten, I think, is very possible. Um, I think Okuda drops a little bit further than we think. I don't think he goes top five, and okay. I think uh, I think Marlon Davidson goes top. 17 or so I just I don't see why NFL teams aren't going to love him the way the way that I like when I looked at it the first time with Marlon Davidson just one last time real quick I, I looked at him as an as an edge rusher which is a mistake you know that's why like, you you and I had that conversation and you mm-hmm. explained to me watch his lateral kickness quickness when he kicks inside watch how big he is and how quickly he moves and is able to cross face while he has technique with his hands. And I was like, Oh my God, he's not an edge at all. You're right. No. Yeah. He's, he's going to be a one gap penetrating three technique. And the more, if you want something bold, he reminds me of Aaron Donald, man. Like I, I and I'm not saying he's going to be, you know, 20 sack Aaron Donald, but, uh, Stylistically, I, I, I can see him playing a similar role and being somewhat, you know, not as disruptive as Donald, but I, I think he'll be in that neighborhood. Like, I, I just think that we might we might look – I'm so tempted to put him as my – that's why I didn't want to answer that question. I, I want to put him as my interior defensive line one. Go for it, brother. It's very high. But I, I just – I need to go back and, and watch Derek Brown because I love Derek Brown too. Um, but, man, I'm – 
it's it's a pro- it's more of a projection than any other player because he literally I'd say seventy percent of his snaps was was playing in a two point stance as an edge rusher, but I just don't see how you would walk him out there as an edge rusher at the next level. And I and I think that when you do see him play three tech, man, he's just so explosive and uh, he wins the reps. Like and then his motor when he runs down plays, like oh, oh my, my god, god. It's like all the never time. seen it before in my life. It's like, never seen a player that big <laughs> run down his fifty yard downfield in my life. Uh, it's shocking. Uh huh. The time and to he's get running these... to hurt you too. He's not like he's running to do damage when he gets you. <laughs> the time to get these takes so, in order is right now, brother. You only got a couple days left. It's like the uh, it's like I know, Maj- it's I Majora's know. Mask. The, the the clock is ticking on you here. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta right. finalize I, it up. I've, yeah, I'll have it done next day or two though. So I'm I'm close. But what else you got? What else you got? I'm trying to be day. extra thorough this year. I like it. Um. So I think uh, I think. Jeremy Chin has a real chance to go in round one. I, I just, again, with him, it's more of a projection because he's coming from uh, wherever he's coming from. Like, for, I don't know. If Southern it's Illinois, yeah. Three, but yeah, it's, uh, it's one double um, A. It's it's uh, FCS instead of FBS. He's not Division two, but he's he's subdivision. Okay, so but like, if if Isaiah Simmons is a top three to top five pick, which I'm fine with, I think it's, I, I like Simmons. I'm not. I'm not low on him at all. I think he, I'm right there with, with right. consensus. He is that guy. I mean, but when you look at Chin, I think I don't necessarily think Simmons is a safety at the next level. I don't think he has the lateral movement, and I don't. I just I don't think he's that explosive laterally to be a safety. But I do think uh, Jeremy Chin could play safety. But then, but then if you wanted him to, like if the Ravens drafted him, I think he can play linebacker. You know, it might be a little bit more of a, a learning curve coming from such a you know, where he was pretty much in at a defined role at safety um, at Southern Illinois, it would be more of a transition. And you're talking, you're talking about putting him at a will linebacker, like a run and chase linebacker, not, you know, uh, yeah. Mike, not a Mike on first down, you know, trying to blow up through a guard. Right. Yeah, I think he's a, a will linebacker. And I think the same with Simmons, too. I mean, Simmons could be more of a Mike uh, probably as well. But, but, um, but yeah, I think that just – the opportunities are endless and he could also, I really think he could play safety too. Like that's, if you want to say, if you draft him and you're like, no man, he's going to be, he's going to play safety. I, I'd be totally fine with that as well. And I'd be fine with that in the first round. So, Boom. um, I think chin has a chance to go round one. I'm not as high on Duggar mainly because when you watch his tape, it's just like, he's like bullying kids, you know? And, and it's, I don't know. That, he, he, it's just so hard for me to, feel comfortable in a strong conviction with Kyle Duggar. So I, I I'm not, I think. Yeah, I'm, like I'm right there with you. There's a, there, there's a pretty big separation between, and just cause you know, just cause chin's playing against the uh, FCS and then Duggar is playing against division three. That's, that's completely different worlds. Yeah. As opposed to, as opposed to and FBS. Me, and FCS. Yeah. Let me, <clears throat> let me leave you with one more guy that I don't think is getting talked about enough. Um, the running back from I think it's Illinois State, James Robinson, I believe his name is. He's like yep. he's like five ten, two twenty three, something like that. And he's ex- he tested really explosive, and I, and I just I hadn't heard much about him, so I went and watched him just because I saw I happened to see his uh, testing numbers at the combine. I went and watched him, and I he reminds me he I mean we, I can't I can't confidently say that he'll be a pass catcher like. Ezekiel Elliott is, you know, or shows he, he can be lately. But 
as a runner, he reminds me something of Ezekiel Elliott. He's locked in as my RB7 right now. Um, hmm. So he's a guy that I think will go earlier than people expect as well. Could find himself in that fourth, fifth, sixth round range. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Evan. We really appreciate it. Gave us some great takes. And I know you're very big into diving into some of those, you know, mid-major or smaller school guys. Uh, so that's why we really want to bring you on. But, you know, Justin Herbert, Marlon Davidson, a bunch of great stuff. Everybody can find Evan's uh, full content at Fair Shake Football on Instagram as well as Twitter. He's super, super, super active on Instagram and has uh, kind of made that his main playground, but doesn't does some a lot of takes on Twitter as well. So thank you for coming on, Evan. We really appreciate it. Thanks a ton, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Absolutely. I'll talk to you later, buddy. All right. Later. See ya. And now we're going to take a quick break and come back with the mailbag. All right. So that was a really fun interview with Evan, a.k.a. Fairshake. Um, has a lot to say, a lot of takes. Hope you guys really enjoyed his takes because uh, it seemed like he enjoyed giving them. Yeah, he uh, he loves going against the grain, and that's why I appreciate him. He loves to try and uh, def- diffuse some groupthink and some narratives. I always appreciate guys who go ahead and do that because I feel like there's a little bit too much, and especially during uh, the draft season stuff. But Evan had a lot to say. He's been locked up watching film for the last like three months since he went to the Super or the Senior Bowl, I should say. Uh, so yeah, he he got a lot off there. Uh, very eccentric guy, a lot of fun to talk to, loves, uh, just loves the game. So I was happy to have him on someone I've been conversing with for a couple of years, just, uh, bouncing some notes and things back and forth with, I always appreciate him. So thank you so much to Evan for coming on, but, uh, yeah, let's get into this mailbag, the final mailbag before we have the NFL draft on Thursday, get some of you guys' thoughts and, uh, opinions and questions and all that good stuff. Mega draft mailbag is what we will be calling this one. Yes. Mega draft mailbag. Um, all right. First off our boy B Rose nine thirty one. I think he fired a couple in here, but he inquired about some news today, uh, that the 49ers are trying to get rid of a couple players. And he asked is Marquise Goodwin worth inquiring about if they're not asking for too much? I don't think they would be asking for really anything. Yeah. We were talking offline. I was talking to ZJ Batman on Twitter a little bit of the three guys that the 49ers were floating today. It was him, Quan Alexander and D Ford. He's the one that really makes the most sense to me. The problem being that he, a lot of injury issues. And then we were also saying that he's basically just like Walmart brand Hollywood. Uh, and then he also carries a $4.9 million cap hit for 2020, I believe. So feasibly you could probably get that done. And for not that high of a pick, they have nine picks, so I'd have no problem swapping like a fifth. Even if they him. could probably do a twenty twenty one pick, like yeah, a twenty twenty one fifth or something. Yeah, you could flip like a pretty low pick. I would just want to get that salary or cap hit number negotiated down a little bit before I was totally comfortable with it. But he could be like a good wide receiver three, especially showing what Hollywood was able to do and the limited snaps that he got this year from the injuries that he was suffering from. See, I like him as insurance in that burner role he's not like you said he's the walmart hollywood he can't do everything hollywood can but in the event that you know let's say something happens with hollywood's foot hollywood's foot god forbid i would like to have someone that has that vertical speed element at least um that's why i want the ravens i've stated on this podcast many times to get a vertical threat in the draft but uh yeah i I don't know i wouldn't put too much stock in him coming in and being much more than a role player but if they did i would understand why and it was super cheap there have been plenty of years when the Ravens have not even had role players ready to go for depth when they would lose guys to injury. 
right at corner at receiver especially at uh, receiver is what i'm specifically referencing like they've just gone into seasons just not being ready at all uh both at starter and at depth so just getting as much depth that you can as that position i'm never going to complain unless the compensation is outrageous which i don't think it would be here boom so we just talked ourselves into yeah marquise goodwin could definitely be uh, a viable option then we've got our boy out there in check nation petrus priv we need to draft some random white linemen just to compare him to James Hurst and Jacob. Uh, you know, I, I don't like this. <laughs> James Hurst, not a member of this team anymore. So I think that's probably going to be we're, we're that's not going to be having a long shelf life here, pal. That's done. Find somebody else to compare me to. Preferably um, Ryan Gosling. I, I've been compared to before. Just throwing that out there. The old goose, Gosling. Uh, Benny Lucero 04 asks, trade 55 for D Ford? Question mark. They can't afford D Ford. They can't even afford Matthew Judon, apparently. Um, D Ford didn't really get used much by the Niners. I could see maybe the Colts being a good landing spot. Another uh, uh, pass rusher slash front seven player between the Niners and the Colts there. Ah, that's true. That would be a double double down uh, moving on we got mj zaramar thoughts on antonio gibson um very dynamic with the ball in his hands once he has the ball in his hands i just don't know how you're going to get him in space other than some bubble screens and maybe some fly sweeps and things like that he has really tiny hands like eight and a half inch hands which is not promising for wide receiver and I believe he only ran power at Memphis. Like he literally had zero carries outside of uh, basic power. Um, so I think it's difficult to know if he's what he's going to do exactly. He was pretty raw in the slot, ran some slot fades, and just like some, oh, I don't even want to call them hitches. They were just like run five yards and turn around. Uh, but once the ball's in his hands, holy shit, he is electric, making guys miss like better than maybe anyone in this draft class, maybe better than LaVisca Chenault. Um, so very interesting player. I would take him probably the earliest fourth round, though, personally. In that way, he reminds me a lot of Ty Montgomery, where it's kind of like you don't really right. know what you're getting uh, right out the gate, but he's going to be able to play for you pretty early on, whether that's at running back or wide receiver. Definitely going to get some return reps in. So I like him. Um, didn't admittedly haven't watched a ton of him and that Memphis tape. Is There's not a rough. ton to watch. There's not a ton to watch. Yeah, but what I have seen, I, I do like the, the versatility there. Um, but yeah, you know. Day four or uh, day three, round four, something like that. Agreed. D Beegs asking, could you see one of the big three wide receivers falling since this class is so strong this year? And I've put a lot of thought into this, and it, it's not really any kind of logical thought. I don't, maybe logical is not the right word, but um, last year, I think that happened. I think it was a deep class without a ton of talent. And I think the receivers fell a little bit. You didn't see one come off the board till Hollywood. You know, DK Metcalf fell. Um, guy like Deontay Johnson fell pretty far that I thought was a solid prospect. I think that teams are kind of waiting on this year a little bit. I think that, you know, last year they're like, oh, you know, next year's class is going to be better. So I would be a little surprised. It, I think it's impossible for a team not to love Henry Ruggs just because that 427 is so shiny. And it seems like teams always, even if it's freaking fabian washington or darius hayward bay or brashad perriman they just love that idea of that raw speed so much um i don't think any of them fall out of the first round i don't think that's possible but maybe we see one in that you know 22 to 25 range uh, and someone gets a steal in there 
Yeah, you kind of never really know. I mean, there's some teams that are obviously going to be in the market for one, looking at the Jets at 12, Broncos at 15, Jags at 9. There's a ton of teams that could potentially take one of them. And I just feel like the the market is ripe enough where, yeah, maybe one of them could fall, but I just think all three of them, their talents kind of stand so far on their own that they pretty much all deserve to go within the top 20 at the very least. So I'm going to go ahead and stick with my gut on that and say that that's probably going to happen on Thursday. Right. I could see them kind of falling out of the, uh, you know, top 10 range a little bit and go a little later than people think. Once you get up to 20, if one of these guys starts falling up to like into the 15 to 20 range, if Howie Roseman doesn't pick up the phone, then I don't know what's going on in Philadelphia. Some of these other places that need wide receivers badly, like if you can make a swing, like eight, an eight pick swing from like where Philly is at 23 up into the uh, high teens, then, you know, what are you doing? And like for that reason, I feel like none of them are going to make it out of the top 20. Yeah, I think there's definitely some receiver needy teams uh, and a lot of teams that don't have depth. So moving on, Joe Boken, Ninja JC, he says, if we are returning essentially all 53, could we trade up for four to five in the top 100? Um, number one, they definitely aren't. Yonda's gone. Josh Bynes is gone. Peanut's gone. Uh, some holes around the roster a little bit. I'm gone. Uh, yeah, Jake's, James Hurst, Luke is gone. But they already have five picks in the top 100. Maybe it's five picks in the first 106. Because they have, what, 28, 55, 60, 92, and then 106. So they have five in the first 106 currently. Um, Could see maybe a trade down from 28 to 35, let's say, and then a trade up from 92 to 67 or something. I don't know. Uh, Then he also asked, he said, also, draft drinking game ideas. It's kind of tough without the typical setup, though, because like you don't right. have like, you know, you don't have like David Shaw on the NFL Network screen talking about how a player has juice and you don't have Mayock is gone now. So you don't have the glass eater road grader type shit going on. Gruden not in the mix anymore with ESPN. So it's kind of tough with those guys being gone and then this year being weird. But we could come up with something. I mean, do you have anything that off the top of your head? I'm thinking just like Kuiper and McShay, like whenever, like it's like the Zoom call, but they're both like going over each other, so it's like ta 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 and they're just going over each other, and like the connection is all crapped out. We might be streaming uh, ourselves for the NFL draft. We're definitely going to be recording like countless episodes, mini episodes, we want to call them, just based on the Ravens picks individually. But we'll think of something, and if we're streaming Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, whenever. We'll have something for you guys. We're trying to get sure. that. Yeah. So we're trying to get that set up going using like StreamYard and stuff and sending it to YouTube and then send it out to Twitter potentially. So keep an eye for that. And uh, in the event that it does happen, I will be getting a cooler, filling it up with ice and plenty of beer and getting ready to go. I'm sure you'll do the same. Yes, absolutely. Moving on. Sam August Baker says, when do you see Brooks and Harrison getting drafted? Jordan Brooks, Malik Harrison. How would they fit Brooks? had had offseason shoulder surgery for a torn labrum that's the one wrench for him a little bit um not sure what the exact medical condition is maybe teams aren't but i went back and kind of rewatched and then rewatch again his tape and then i just don't see a huge difference between him and kenneth murray so if murray is a you know first second round caliber i don't think brooks is too far off from that other than that shoulder uh brooks can run i think he has range whereas harrison can't quite run sideline to sideline against like elite like elite playmakers the way same way kind of those top three guys can but harrison is a 
he he's six three two fifty. He is like huge for me. Play- like maybe this has changed under DaCosta, but I just if it comes down to a Big Twelve middle linebacker versus a Big Ten middle linebacker that was playing at that huge size for Ohio State every Saturday, I cannot see the Ravens taking the Big Twelve guy over the Big Ten guy. That makes a ton of sense. There's not a ton of Texas Tech defenders in the NFL playing at a high level right now. Um, and Oklahoma, don't get me wrong, I love our millennial king Jordan Brooks, but you know, right. Uh, the, the competition, as far as, I don't know, just run game competition is not quite there in uh, the Big 12. Harrison is enormous, can play like a Sam linebacker, even if you want him to, but he is going to be able to uh, come at. The Ravens can find these little these little safety types and these dime backers and the Anthony Levines and the Chuck Clarks. They can find them whenever, wherever, at the bottom of the draft, UDFA, free agents, wherever. Uh, but Harrison is a guy that they can rely on to go fuck shit up on first and second down, you know, maybe against a Tennessee Titans type team, a power team and kind of fit power for power and really dominate. So I think that's where he would fit. Both of them would play Mike for the Ravens. Brooks gives you a little bit more side run range. I think that we Brooks could sneak into the end of the first round. I think he's more of a top 50 guy. And then I don't see Harrison making it out of the second round either. Um, so I think the Ravens will get a shot at one of Queen Murray Actually, real, realistically, a shot at Murray, Brooks, or Harrison. Uh, and those are my kind of two, three, and four guys there. Moving on, we got just a black guy. Sick. <laughs> I should go uh, by uh, just a white guy. Yeah, that's us, basically. Uh, is there a player that you pray that another team takes so that we don't? For me, it is Murray. Uh, for me, it is also Murray. And also LaVisca Chenault, because those guys are going to break my brain. I think I've said that before. Murray, I, I, if I had to bet, if I had to place a wager on whether Patrick Queen and Kenneth Murray would be available at 28, I would say that they will not be. Uh, I think that linebackers that get this much buzz and kind of have the good combines and everyone, they go through the full circle, getting the full cycle, getting kind of hyped up, don't end up making it to the end of the first round. Uh, we kind of saw that a little bit last year. There's just also not a lot of, Jake, this is something you said many times, there's not a lot of really good middle linebackers right now in the NFL. So I can see some teams being thirsty for them a little bit more. And like for me, I just don't love the idea of a middle linebacker in the first round with where the NFL is at right now. So you mentioned Murray. I kind of really wouldn't want Queen in the first round either. Maybe if he starts to fall into the second round, you talk about trading up, I'd be okay with that. But it just doesn't feel like something that I'd be all that into. Um, As far as like you mentioned Chenault, I'd probably would hope that somebody would get a little thirsty and jump up to grab him because of the injury stuff I mentioned concerns me. Not really interested in the whole idea of like a DeAndre Swift at 28 either. So if he were to go before that and push better players down the board, I'd be happy with it. Also, a friend of the show, Peter King, uh, talking about Jalen Hurts in the second round. I'd be over the moon if that happened, obviously. So, I mean, I you know, got to keep an eye out for that. Right. Um, yes. Yeah, so we actually we waved at Peter King. I, got, I don't know if he ever told that story. And he waved back at us. Yeah, Jake yelled, Peter, we love you, or Peter, hey, or something, and then we waved at Peter King. And he was like, yeah. hey, guys. How you doing? Did you hear about um, Robin Williams? Died. Killed himself. I actually wrote about 400,000 words last night on Sunday night. Sick. Congrats, Peter. I, I hope you're enjoying your stay at uh, the Doubletree. Like, he, tw- he tweeted recently, was like, just finished a 22,500-word article. It's the biggest football morning in America ever. I was like, oh, that's wild. He just like, he's like sitting there just sipping like craft beers and like Starbucks coffee at the same time to like stay zooted and like awake. And he's just like <laughs> his God stream knows, of consciousness into yeah, into his football morning in America. 
God knows what he does to type those in, a, in allegedly one day. Well, it has to be because he has so much information. He definitely, you got to think he has like some ghostwriters because like the, all those guys do. I don't know, man. I think he's a little crazy, but moving well, on. He's Glizzy definitely GMB. a little crazy. I don't know if that totally relates, but continue. <laughs> Peter King certified uh, has ghostwriters. Glizzy GMD. How do you feel about Thaddeus Moss of the Ravens? We've touched on Thaddeus. Uh, he's a classic, you know, old school kind of Y tight end, and he might be a little, I don't want to say he's redundant with Boyle. He might be a little more sure handed as a pass catcher and a little more feisty as a pass catcher. Um, but I think he could be a decent middle ground between Andrews and Boyle to an extent, not a Supreme athlete. His dad's did not give him the speed, but he's a nasty blocker. Greg Roman's uh, uh, Delaney Walker. We were talking about the other day, potentially. Right. Yep, exactly. Um, so yeah, I like the idea of it, you know, fourth round, maybe that one Oh six or that like one twenty nine could be fine. I could see them going a different direction as well, but uh, I think he's gotten a lot of hype just because the name and because oh LSU's definitely, and then he had the four touchdown game or whatever it was. So yeah, right. And then LSU's whole season, they all just got hyped up. Uh, but right. yeah, solid prospect, good blocker. He's a little tiny, but uh, good prospect. Elliot fifty two asked Ravens nailed on to trade back and stockpile picks. I think he misspoke there. I don't know. Ravens nailed on to trade back and stockpile picks. Thoughts on T Higgins and Hollywood duo. Um, we've touched on T Higgins. You know, there's guys we don't like as much. There's guys we like more. Um, I think he's a smarter receiver than people give him credit for. I'd be fine with T Higgins. 28, I might be a little like, eh, I want someone who can separate more. But in the second round, would be a steal. It helps you uh, uh, do the, the the basketball team thing where you have your power forward and Higgins and, uh, you know, small forward and Boykin, Hollywood point guard, that that type of deal with your receiver room. So from that perspective, I kind of like the the – you know, variations that he brings as opposed to getting somebody like KJ Hamler, who we've talked about as being like a clone to Hollywood there in the second round. So very good point. And something Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks always talk about move the sticks. You want the the basketball starting five uh, grant H two. Could we go with a running back like Taylor or Swift if they fall in I, the second? God, I love the Like, of course, their names are Taylor and Swift and they're like the one and two invariably. Just. A crazy blonde running back duo crying their way through another breakup. In well, the I mean, the round. thing is, like, yeah, they're so they're in the draft together right now. But like, once they get drafted, you, it's like they're never ever getting back together, right? Like, you you can't never see them ever home, like, ever you can't see them playing on the same team. Definitely won't be on the same team. Never ever ever getting back together after the draft. They are, they won't even be together at the draft. Wow, it's sad. Another yeah. song might come out of that one. That actually, but <laughs> they should <laughs> do a duet on that. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean. I have a horrible feeling that the Ravens are going to take a running back with one of their first three picks and we've talked all this shit on it. And then I'm going to have to try to have like a positive spin as my fan side and be like, you know, it makes sense. The Ravens run the ball a lot. Um, I think there's like, I don't know. Jonathan Taylor is really good. Deandre Swift is versatile, but you just don't freaking need one at all. And there's other guys later in the draft, even, you know, cam Akers, you can get, even later probably and, and guys like that. So, I mean, could they? Yes, absolutely. The one thing that gives me a little sanctity is knowing number one, the Ravens were not in, involved on Le'Veon Bell at all. They made a very cheap investment on Mark Ingram. They spent a cheap draft pick on justice Hill, got him the fourth round. And they also had that opening for an analytics position in the front office. It was like literally like a job posting. And it said like, asking fundamental questions regarding analytics like do running backs matter and that was like i think a little 
insight into a question they actually are asking themselves, and I want to say the answer is a little bit more no than it is yes, therefore making a second-round pick. Like, you traded Hayden Hurst, who is a decently valuable pass catcher and brought good versatility, and you're going to replace him with a running back. That doesn't add up to me when you have a couple more. Yeah, I mean, if they took Taylor or Swift, I guess I'd be ready for it. Um, I don't know what their end game would be, um, but maybe DaCosta would be sitting there and saying, you know, I did something bad. Um, and then, you know, maybe he'd say something like, don't blame me. I'm pretty delicate. Um, and then as a fan base, we're asking all this stuff of, him and, stuff of him. And he's like, you know, look what you made me do. And then ultimately it's just like, so it goes. But, you know, the roster is going to be gorgeous. Um, and ultimately the team would be kind of like a getaway car, just trying to drive off into the sunset and win a championship. Uh, and they, they'd be the king of my heart if they were to win a Super Bowl this year. Are, have you caught on to me yet here? As long as they don't hang out with Calvin Harris and then have a really bad breakup, I think they'll be fine. Well, they'd just be dancing with their hands tied. And, you know, they, I don't know, it'd just be weird. It would be weird to, uh, uh, so I'm just looking at reputation and the next one is dress. And, like, I, can't, I don't know how to work dress in. <laughs> that whole thing was reputation. I probably should have found some, like, better list. I don't really know her, like, names of her songs all that well. Me neither. Now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, uh, she's too famous for me not to know more. And I definitely know her songs if I hear them on the radio more than I can, like, name them. Yeah, I mean, well, we can just shake it off then and keep moving. Boom. Uh, Icy Hot Pod. AJ Epinesa at 28 or trade up for Judy Lamb Ruggs? I'm going to say none of those four things happen. Epinesa goes in the top 20. Judy, Lamb, and Ruggs are all gone. Other people jump up and get them, and the Ravens remain pat. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. Um, I think in terms of choosing between the two i'd probably rather trade up for a wide receiver i agree if i i it, it would just be flashy and give me so much to talk about and think about and blah 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 blah. and during and, during these uncertain times i mean just having that you know sort of thing to cling on to would be great exactly it would be sweet for business and probably for the offense in the end if they did uh, but yeah smearman added on alex smearman added on a little bit please explain why we would draft a running back early in parentheses, I don't get it. Hope you guys are staying safe. We hope you're safe as well and healthy. Um, we don't know, and hopefully they don't. I think we touched on that a bit already. Moving on, M. Dern. How realistic is Jalen Hurst Hurts at as an option? Not, not realistic. No, because I think they would take him if he fell to like the fourth round potentially, um, and groom him as like a trade ship, like the Raiders tried to do with Connor Cook a couple years ago, and the Packers have done in the past. But I don't think he's going to fall that far, and they're just not going to give up you know, anything beyond a, or anything within round three pick uh, for him. With RG3, with Trace McSorley, I mean, I think Hurts could be a good quarterback, but they already have one. I don't know. It's just a bit much. It's a bit much. Uh, moving on, B-Rose931 said, I saw Chibs loves Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. You think we could take him in round two? Uh, he is my running back one. If I had to pick a running back for the Ravens, that would be the one. I get Ray Rice vibes from him for sure. Um Again, I just don't really want one with one of those first three picks, knowing that basically you traded Hayden Hurst and created a little bit of a, I mean, a little need to get a safety blanket behind Mark Andrews. You took one of those, you know, big body pass catchers that showed really explosive playmaking at the same time off. And uh, I don't think a running back is going to, is going to, you know, fill my hunger to fill that void. So I would appreciate something else. Yeah. It's, I, I think Shibs has been kind of on the, 
bandwagon of like why not do a running back on the first two days and i'm not totally against it but it's just with the other needs that they have it's not like we can't just sit here and because they were 14 and 2 say like oh you know they're just a ready to go complete roster and now they can start adding cherries on top uh by doing something like picking a running back early i don't totally see it that way i think you have a big need at interior o-line i think you still have a need at wide receiver and you have needs in the front seven that you need to address before you can worry about going to get a running back but yeah like edwards hilaire in round two i'd be fine with uh, you posted that clip uh, or reposted that clip from a while ago this morning that uh, definitely put off those Ray Rice vibes. So I'd like to see that. And uh, it will be a lot of fun. I would rather double up at one of those positions, even spend two picks at middle linebacker, two picks interior offensive line, two picks at receiver and go for the running back. Just so you give yourself another lottery ticket that one of them's awesome. Uh, but moving on, Nico Canalupa, 98. Nico Canalupa. Oh, hey, I'm walking over here. Where's the what? Gabagool? Hey, you motherfucker. What would be the ultimate shocker for a pick in the first round that would just wow you guys? Hmm. In what sense do you think he means? Like, just make your jaw drop, like, unexpected. If they they traded up for, like, Lamb or Judy, I would. I feel like it's sort of realistic for them to to go up and get rugs, but if they were to make that like Julio Jones-type move where they just jump up and grab the big-name wide receiver, I think I would be pretty uh, pleasantly shocked. Or like a corner, like if for some reason... Yeah, if they just like stay put and take like C.J. Henderson or like Trevon Diggs or whatever, then that would probably shock me too. But it also wouldn't because like nobody thought they needed a cornerback in 2017 and they take Marlon Humphrey. I was all pissed off because I didn't think they needed a cornerback and I didn't like Marlon Humphrey as a prospect. And uh, boy, am I a fucking idiot sometimes. I was pissed with that too. I uh, I thought Marlon Humphrey was like a second round prospect. I didn't think he was. Everyone like a, did. Like that was. I like, wanted. I wanted Dory was, Jackson more yeah. than I wanted him. Yeah, right. Uh, Dory Jackson, very flashy. The, he had the whole wide receiver returner thing going yep. on too. So he was a flashy guy that year. Humphrey was. Everyone hated him as a prospect in the middle of the first round. They take him, and he's like one of the best players in that draft. So who knows? Yeah. So it would. Definitely be interesting to see them take a corner. And I mean, at this point, I want to say a running back would shock me. But because for some reason, like 60% of the mock drafts I see from the kind of national media pundits, I think I've kind of sensitized myself to get upset over that happening. Um, so I think basically those would be those would be the moves. Yeah, I mean, and as we're learning, mock drafts are more inaccurate than ever this year. I mean, they're, everyone knows they're super accurate year to year, but this year, because of everything that's going on, they're pretty inaccurate, as I've been seeing uh, floated around on Twitter. The only two guys last year that I really kind of liked and that ended up on the Ravens were Sack Daddy and Justice Hill. Um, so not too many other otherwise. Didn't see Hollywood coming at all. I think I've said that a few times. But moving on, Andy Lee 2000 asks, Queen or Murray? For me, it is Queen. Queen is 20 years old. Queen is smarter, more instinctive, reads his keys better. Uh, I think he, you know, at 20 years old, to be able to have the IQ that he does, diagnosing what teams are doing, different concepts, power gap concepts, and uh, getting inside and getting dirty. I mean, I've seen him put some linemen on their back a few times as a 20-year-old who weighs under 230 pounds. Uh, So for me, I like Queen. I think he's a true first-round linebacker. Um, I'd put him similar to, like, Devin Bush. Last year, I'd probably have similar grades on those two. And Murray just need a little more out of him. But Daniel Jeremiah was talking about how, you know, 
want cerebral kind of high character, high communicative ability with your center, with your quarterback, with your safety and with your linebacker up the center of the defense, uh, excluding like nose guard. And I get that. Maybe Murray is a great communicator and can set the defense. And I don't know. I don't know anything about that stuff. So maybe that slips through. But for me, it's queen. Yeah, I've tried to get better about like more seriously watching tape in the way that you do specifically when it comes to defense. It's kind of hard at times. Um, so I think definitely for me initially in the process, I was more of a Murray guy because he has all the highlights. He's the the YouTube player between the two of them, uh, very fast and athletic. And I do like him as a prospect, but sort of your insight and your knowledge, which I defer to in a lot of cases, I did again in this one because you showed me, uh, you know, the light a little bit in that Queen is maybe the more intelligent, mature player who's going to sit back in gaps, do what he needs to do, diagnose coverages, and uh, just be a NFL linebacker rather than, you know, just a highlight machine coming out of the Big 12. Yeah, I think you can just ask a lot more from Queen early on. And uh, if if I'm drafting a linebacker in the first round, you are talking about it earlier, you know, I don't want a linebacker in the first round. If I do want one, it's, it's a similar conversation to running back. I think linebackers have a little more value at this point in time, but only if they can cover and they can stay on the field for four downs and be competent in anything you can ask of them, whether it's man coverage, you know, running with a running back on a choice route or on an option route or a Texas route. Uh, they better be able to play against the run and they better be able to get off blocks. And Queen does those things. Whereas Murray, I just never seen him play at halfback option. I've never seen him cover or uh, drop really deep into a hook and make a play on the ball or anything. So for me, Queen, moving on. Uh, random spam of telling us that hope they have an amazing week. Thank you. I appreciate I that. you do too. Thank you. Whether you're real or not, we need that positivity in the world right now. The so. Matrix can be tough too, just like the real world. Maybe the Matrix is the real world. Who knows? But Jacob's 99, currently slated with nine picks. What is you guys' prediction for how many players the Ravens draft? I love that question. I'm going to go with eight. Hmm... I agree with you. I think they trade up one time. They give up one pick. I think they make two trades this year. I think they make two trades. I think they trade back and trade up at some point, as is Ozzy's tradition. And I think they end up with eight. I think they condense a little bit into the top 100 and the back end of the top 100 a little bit more. Uh, Moving on, B-Rose 931. Could the Ravens draft Jeremy Chin and move him to middle linebacker? We ended up talking about that with Evan. He sees that for sure. He shows he is definitely a dime linebacker, absolutely, in passing situations. A guy that can play too high, maybe play a little single high. I don't see him coming in early and being like, you know, a Mike linebacker making all the calls and things, especially is it would be surprising, especially coming from lower level competition and not being that guy uh, at that point. But as a will, yes, playing that Patrick Owasso position from 2018, uh, flowing on the backside, making plays, making tackles. Uh, he's a very explosive player. Then Bureau's also added on chances the Ravens trade up to the top 15. Percentage-wise, I'll say 7%. I don't know. 7%. Hmm. Jim, I don't know. Um... Yeah, I don't think it's very high. I, I would probably just duplicate you on that because I don't really know how to put a number on it. I think it's possible, but not likely. I would be, I, that's a good way to put it, possible but not likely. I would be a little surprised if they did. I could definitely see them moving up to 20, 23, 22, like right around there. But So I would, the sum it up by, I would sum it up by they 
seem to be pretty conscious of the fact that they don't want to get swallowed into the whole, oh, you have a window right now, you have to exploit it, go up and get a guy. They seem conscientious of the fact that other teams have recently tried to do that and it has not worked. So from that perspective... Long-term sustainability. Right. I feel like from that perspective, they're going to try and, uh, you know, stay back, be a little more conservative, do what they usually do, and uh, just try to, you know, play their own game and win that way, as opposed to jumping up and grabbing some new shiny toy that's maybe going to help them this year, maybe, maybe not even that, uh, and then kind of cost you long-term. Right, and... I just don't, I don't know. I just don't see them. It's, it feels like DaCosta loves to say that thing about lottery tickets and the more guys you draft, the more likely you're going to get a really good one because there is a lot of randomness to this as much as we try to make it seem like it's not. So I think it would just take, it depends on if a really valuable player for them slides and there's a guy like, all right, we really would love to have him, but you know, PFF loves to have their little simulation and grade your draft based on whatever. And like, I know PFF Steve Palazzato, however his name said, he, he did one where he traded all of the Ravens picks in next year's first round pick and went up and got Casey Young and got a horrible score for the draft. And he was like, the his little caption for it was, when do you think you're one pass rusher away? Um, so I believe Marcus, that, you Marcus know. Marcus Davenport, remember the Saints move up to go get him and then Sean Payton and his, uh, his, you know, typical brilliance, they ask him about it and he's like, well, shoot, just look at the country's national debt. And he's just like, yeah, that's cool. Like, it's like, well, Sean, I don't know if that's comparing like, you know, yourself to a faulty economic system is really going to sell people that you just made a smart move. But I don't know. I think that the Packers ended up getting good players out of that trade too. I can't remember who they got. It was but... like Jair Alexander and some other yep. guys, right? Yeah, and Jair Alexander is very good. Davenport was okay, got hurt last year, but yeah, definitely paid way too much for that. Uh, Ethan Lair says Michael Pittman in the second. Hell to the yeah, that would be awesome. I know Jake's on that train as well, so we'll just keep moving. A foot. EDC says they plan not to be aggressive with trade-ups. Is it smoke and mirrors? Mm, I don't fucking know. So that's my answer. I don't know. Every Literally everything you hear, pretty much in the week leading up to the draft, I'd say the seven days leading up, just don't believe literally any of it. Right. The Falcons are expected to be as aggressive as ever, and the Broncos are getting Jerry Judy, and... The Patriots are going to get Tua. And like, if you were to hear Tua Tungavailoa ate Chipotle for lunch, assume he had Quidoba or Moe's. Yeah, absolutely correct. Moving on, Alex Pinocchio. Could you see the Ravens trading out of the first round? That is probably more likely than them trading into the top 15. If they traded back and did a little, you know, say that their board is, if they end up having five guys with similar grades on their board at places they'd like to be and you know, they can move down 10 picks. Why would they not want to do that? And then that gives them more ammo to move up from that, you know, 106 and 129 and 157 range into uh, higher picks later. So, yeah, I think that they definitely would relish the opportunity to be able to get some more value if someone did really want to trade up and let's say get a Jalen Hurts or something at the end of the first. Uh, ZJ Batman, how high is safety as a need? On a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you expect the Ravens to draft one? I expect a 7.5. So he says on a scale of 1 to 10, he has a 7. He has a, he thinks there's a 75 chance, 75% chance the Ravens draft a safety. Um, I think I'm right around there too. I'd say over 50%. I'd but say not six, 100. I'd say 60%. Yeah, I think there's a pretty fair shot. They seem to like to get safeties. I'd favor it happening, but they have three right now that they like. So Yeah, there's a kid out of. Uh, well, probably a grown man out of Georgia. I think his name is J.R. Reed, 
and he ran a 4.37, and he's super rangy. And I've seen a little, some whispers, and I think they interviewed him. Uh, I could see if they find someone in the mid-rounds that has range as a little Earl Thomas safety net. That would make sense. If you tried to convince me that was a guy in, like, A-ball who had, like, no control but was just throwing pure gas down in, like, Durham, J.R. Reed, you could, you could convince me that. Had a little lettuce out of the back of his cap. Yeah, he's, like he's, a, he's like 31. He's just like been hanging on for eight years. He's like living family to family with like these foster families that are just, you know, kind of, oh, JR, you know, he's, he's a real sweetheart. He lives in the basement, cuts the lawn for us every week. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's nice. And throws gas. Doesn't have to fill up the lawnmower because he just throws gas into it. And then like uh, a, a young prospect shows up and he has to mentor them like Kevin Costner. And it's just like, what's going on here? Boom. God, what a great movie. I might watch that later. Emmett TJ Black, do you see us making any pick trades? I would say there is almost a, like I'm, I'm willing to say there's a 90, 98% chance the Ravens make a trade at some point in this draft. I think they're addicted to it. Yeah, they kind of are, and that's just sort of the way that the NFL works because there's 32 teams, guys are going to fall in love with players, they're going to want to move around, and then the Ravens are a team that are known for wheeling and dealing a little bit and also taking advantage of other teams. So hopefully that happens again this year, uh, and they're probably going to be making a trade in the first round with the Eagles, as has become tradition the last couple of years. So keep an eye out for that. We have two amazing questions to finish out this mega mailbag. Uh, first is our boy Fernando Tatero Capistran. Oh. Hey! Which wide receiver is a better fit, Chenault or Ayuk? That's a tough one for me. Hmm. That's a tough one for me. Chenault, everyone said, like, the huge thing keeps being, like, if there's a team and an offensive coordinator that's going to use Chenault, right, it's the Ravens. And I want to say that's true just because we, we talked about it with Evan, we've talked about it so often. They know what players are good at, and they like to put them in the position to succeed. Um I just think that Ayuk, we also said with Evan, has never lost a foot race, and he can really push vertically. They played in the same conference in the Pac-12, and you see Chino- or you see Ayuk lose guys on just nine routes. Potentially going to be seeing more sit-back zone against a run-heavy team, too, so he's not going to be getting pushed up against a lot, Ayuk. Right, exactly. So that might be able to hide some of that deficiency in the press coverage. Um I'm going to go with Ayuk. I think that Ayuk has star receiver potential. And then Chenault could be, you know, this is what I think Chenault has like a five year career and then holds on and is injured late in his career. And I think Chenault peaks for like two years and gets dinged up a little bit during it. And he has one really productive, really strong season where he's decent as an actual receiver and is utilized as a gadget and like peaks and valleys really fast. Whereas I could see Ayuk being like a consistent 50, 60, maybe 70 catch eight, nine up to 1100 yard guy that is just more of an actual wide receiver while giving you some of that gadget stuff. So I'm going to go with Ayuk. Sounds good. All right. Now, finally, Jacobs 99, your boy need a deep dive into the history of the Luke family. Yeah, so I saw this one. I was kind of curious how he wanted to approach it. Um, I don't know. Like, how, how do I explain this? Because, like, I don't have any cool, glamorous stories like you do, I feel like. 
what is like the weirdest part of your family that is like what is like the odd part of your family that is like ancestry i think that's what he wants um well i think he kind of already knows this because he and i are uh pretty good friends going back to high school but i just think it's kind of funny how like nobody can really get a read on like my heritage at all because if you look at my last name it's cajun right like french canadian people that kind of came down uh, from Arcadia, I believe, down to New Orleans. So that's my dad's side of the family. Old right. old Irby Luke and the boys uh, grew up down in the bayou. So that was my dad's dad. My dad was born down there in the late 50s. I don't know how they ended up coming up to Baltimore, but they did when he was probably like six. And then my mom's side of the family, uh, real like old Baltimore, like farmers, like Irish English. And my mm-hmm. mom is like the oldest of five kids. So she grew up like on a farm, basically. And, um, yeah, in a big family. So, uh, kind of funny, the differences in culture there to me, where it's like, you have these, you know, Cajuns, um, real nice, like bullshitter types from the South, um, just coming out of the swamps. Uh, and my grandfather got it. Like, if you guys can't understand the word that like coach O says, that's kind of how I was like, and he passed away when I was young. So I didn't really get a ton of experiences with him, but as like a five-year-old trying to understand somebody like that, speak to you. Um, a little bit difficult at times, but, uh, yeah, I really liked him a lot. Um, and you can definitely tell he rubbed off on my dad in some good ways. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we've been in Baltimore. So I was born here. And then when I was around six, I believe we had to move to South Carolina for like four years for my dad's work. So maybe some people don't know that I spent some time down there when I was between like ages six and 10. That's a weird part of it. What was your favorite part about South Carolina? The weather. Dude, it's just like awesome. Like it gets a little humid, but like I kind of, I don't really mind the heat. A lot of people do. Uh, I can live with it. I definitely prefer it to the cold. So like the weather was pretty great. Uh, and it was also like a sweet spot for me. Like it's sort of when you first really start to become like a person, like age five to six. Right. So that's like when I started going to like school and I made some little like friends and stuff. So it was a, uh, it was fun. Uh, we ultimately kind of had to come back cause like all our family was up here. So we did that probably around age 10, halfway through like fifth grade for me. And then been here ever since, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's not necessarily as gra- glamorous as the burlesque clubs and all that. But, uh, yeah, real big family, a lot of diversity within the heritage. Uh, and then, you know, from all that, I just look like a regular Joe Schmo white guy with a gap in his teeth. So you have the heart of a raging Cajun and the alcoholic tendencies of an Irish Catholic. I guess, but let's, you know, not even to downplay the, um, you know drinking habits of those from the the bayou as well i think that your taste in alcohol is more represented by your catholic side your irish catholic side yeah i'm also trying to like get a handle on that like i don't know hangovers who needs it very true especially during quarantine like i can't go and party and stuff so it's like you know i had a humdinger of a weekend by accident with some of friends brothers college-age friends went from warm and fuzzy to Whew. got it, out of hand it gets away we'll with that yeah it gets away from you real quick i will say that uh in quarantine like especially like i'll do like the zoom happy hours and stuff and you really do lose track quick i was playing games with some friends the other night and i was like oh wait i've had like five ipas like tomorrow's not gonna be good yeah i was i was chilling on the beer i'm always fine when i just drink beer i'm always fine i get a little like you know 
bloaty acid reflux sometimes whatever getting old but then there's like i was drunk and then it was like a shot or something and then it just turned into like me and a couple 21 year olds pass it around a bottle and were you in, were you in a basement playing spin the bottle or seven minutes in heaven i was on the deck we had a huge fire that stunk like a massive massive fire in the fire pit and uh yeah darkness the dark passenger came out and i uh had a two-day hangover from that until about today so that's, that's the problem with me is like the multi-day hangovers like i just i, I don't know i don't want to deal with that anymore so maybe you know i'm gonna try to find some creative ways around it still gonna you know have fun you know you know have a good time when the the Ravens games are going on or when you're you're cutting it out and fed or fells with the boys. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I probably want to switch away from the IPAs when I'm just casually drinking. I've been uh, drinking a little bit of Peroni recently, nice light Italian beer. So maybe something like that. There you go. It's like yeah, less, you'll, it's, you'll figure it out. You just got to find that sweet spot. You'll yeah, have your hiccups. Yeah, it's less heavy, less, you know, brain fog type stuff going on the next day. So, yeah, just, you know, trying to slow down with that a bit. It's been nice with the quarantine, especially being able to just sort of reassess things a little bit. Whoa there, homie. Stick to Peroni. I kind of like that. Sure. feels like it maybe needs to a little Don Draper workshop action going on there. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll drink some whiskey and smoke some stoves up in the uh, sky office and uh, figure out a better slogan for that one and completely defeat the purpose of toning back on the Peroni. But now that we've digressed... It's been another great episode. We are supposed to have a great guest, which we don't like to announce our guests until the hay is in the barn. But another interesting guest, hopefully tomorrow, uh, should be all set up with him. And then we will try and get some interesting draft stuff fired up. Maybe we'll uh, have Vaz on right before the draft. We'll definitely have him on at some point uh, after the draft. We'll probably try and have Connor Rogers on again. We've had the hay in the barn that way. We'll so we'll probably try and have him on again, and then, like Jake alluded to earlier, we'll be trying to potentially stream. We're going to try and get that figured out, you know, during some portion of the NFL draft, and uh, see if we can engage with you guys. I think that would be fun, especially considering the circumstances. I don't think we would do that maybe without the circumstances, but since we don't really get to have that nice camaraderie of watching with a few other buddies uh, in person, which I always love to do might be fun to, to recreate that feeling digitally as we have so often had to do throughout this little pandemic situation. And we'll definitely be recording many episodes based on each selection and just try and give you guys some instant feedback. Um, I have watched about, I think I counted 92 college football games. So I've seen most of the hall. I'm not familiar with everyone. I don't have, you know, a 500 person scouting report like the Lance lines of the world, but I think I should be able to give some relative insight, uh, immediately after the Ravens make the majority of their selections and we'll get that out to you. And then over the following weeks, we'll obviously break those down and, and do fun things of the sort. And after that, hopefully, uh, I mean, potentially maybe the situation with the pandemic will, I hope digress, but without that, if it does not, and kind of remains at status quo, it's going to be boring. So I'm we'll guessing, and- so I'm guessing that, eventually the restrictions on like gatherings is going to be lifted to a certain extent, uh, which at that point we're definitely going to be doing a lot more in person episodes because I think it's going to be a slow rollout where you can interact with other people and shelter in places, not in order, but you're not necessarily going to be going out to bars and stuff. So we can, you know, make it more of a hobby to just kind of hang out and do in person episodes, which we were getting into a good rhythm before all this shit started to pop off. I'm going to be looking into upgrading the equipment a little bit. Potentially I've been using this rig since 
last year when I started it. We had the uh, one year episode uh, or one year anniversary episode the other day. Been using the same setup since then. A uh, few alterations here and there, but uh, I think it's time to maybe get an upgrade in that sense. Uh, but yeah, you, as you alluded to there, big time uh, content week for you guys. We have this releasing today. This is going to be just looking at the ticker now. It's going to be a damn near two hour episode tomorrow. Uh, we are going to have that interview that we were alluding to. A uh, little bit of a big fish, relatively, so we don't want to. Uh, put the name out there in case anything falls through, um, which is why we do that. Just pull back the curtain. Thursday, I think we're going to try and do a full first-round mock, last one of the uh, draft season. That's on good to you. We should do a what we think. We'll do a what we think is going to happen. Not yeah, right. Exactly. Like an actual final thing. Our best guess so we can get like three or two right and then be like, ha I told you, bitches. Yeah, that's pretty much my go-to plan. Uh, and then, like you said, we're going to be trying to get the stream together. I've been working on getting that set up. So it would probably be something where we'd be broadcasting it to YouTube via the StreamYard uh, website app type thing. And then you could probably get that onto Twitter as well. So we can find a way to get you guys into the comments and give us your feedback. Uh, so go to the Baltimore Beatdown YouTube page and subscribe there. Uh, been getting out of the rhythm a little bit with posting videos on it because I've had to make a laptop change. Uh, the old Mac that I was using finally crapped out, so I've been using my work laptop uh, the last couple weeks, which has been, eh, you know, it's been pretty good, but probably going to need to change that at some point soon. Um, so going to have the live stream, going to be doing instant reaction podcasts as well uh, for pretty much every pick, I think. We're going to try to have at least some audio on, maybe combining a couple as we get near the end of it, but uh, it's going to be a big content week and weekend for all you cool cats and kittens. Yeah, so we'll get after it, and we should have another episode for you guys uh, in about 24 hours. So I appreciate you, and we'll see you on the other side. Yep, buckle up. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you did, please subscribe to the show. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. You can follow the show on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Podcast Beatdown. You can find Spencer at Ravens 4 Dummies. That's the number four in the middle. You can follow me at Jake Luke. That's L-O-U-Q-U-E. Check us out on Instagram, Baltimore underscore Beatdown, uh, where we post our mailbags. Uh, you guys really came through today. I uh, got pretty much an hour of mailbag content out of you, and I'm sure we're going to have you know, having a lot more in the coming weeks here as, you know, the draft picks start to roll in and all that stuff starts to happen. So really appreciate you guys listening and uh, we will talk to you tomorrow, I suppose. See ya. Peace out. All right. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys. See you later. All right. God bless. Yeah. <laughs>